I'm thankful for those in positions of leadership because I recognize the weight and responsibility that's on their shoulders to lead and to guide other people. You know, they are paid to make the, choi- the, paid to make the tough choices, whether or not people agree or disagree with the decision. And if you're watching on Facebook Live, I encourage you to put in the comments maybe a leader or someone in a position of th- in authority that you are thankful for, just to encourage their spirit. But if I'm being honest, there are times in which I have maybe not fully agreed with every decision that a leader has made. Can, can you agree with that? I remember one time a Christian leader made a decision, and I didn't necessarily agree with the decision that they were making and, and how they handled it. And I noticed that my attitude started to become, become pretty poor, and I started to become more critical of the leader than the actual decision. You know, their, their decision didn't intend to hurt or disregard my feelings, but because of my poor attitude, it clouded my judgment to maybe see things from their perspective. You know, I, I knew that they cared about me, but I had the trust and just put in, into their perspective that they could see things that maybe I could not that ultimately led to the decision that they made. In hindsight, it was pretty silly to get upset about you know, the whole situation. And now looking back at it, I, I support and I understand their decision. But before I got to that position, I had to forgive. I had to release concern. I had to forgive um, the person because it was really affecting my attitude and it was really affecting just how I was thinking about this person. You know, sometimes we don't always agree but we can choose to abide and choose to have a better attitude. Charles Swindle is quoted as saying, we have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we will embrace for the day. Life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. Our attitude is everything. You know, it's easy to show support. It's easy to give encouragement when a leader's decision aligns with your perspective, what you want to happen. But when it conflicts with what we think should happen, there's the temptation to point the finger, to, 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 to blame them, you know, to, to criticize their character and their leadership. And the point is this, be careful that we don't allow our opinion to impact our attitude. Be careful that we don't allow our opinion, uh, what we think should happen, to impact our attitude. We all know someone who maybe thinks a little too highly of themselves. <laughs> they often say things like, you know, if, if I was in that position, this is exactly how I would have dealt with it. You know, wh- why are they so foolish? You know, this is the right decision. We all know people like that. But the reality is that we're not in their position. We don't have access to all the information that led to their decision. We don't understand the pressures or, you know, the time constraints that led to the decision that maybe was made very quickly. And rather than criticize, the wise Christian needs to pray for those in authority over us, to encourage one another daily, and to give gentle suggestions 
especially when they are asked for. Again, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. We need to think before we speak. Is it helpful? Is it necessary? And if not, then it probably doesn't need to be said. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. And so our topic this morning is this, healthy speech. Healthy speech, a very similar topic in which we talked about last week in regards to wise responses. But this morning we're talking about healthy speech. Replacing the unhealthy, critical words we typically say with healthy, helpful, and encouraging words. Do you believe there is power in your words? Do you believe there's power in your words? Because neuroscience and studies are helping us understand that it takes more positive comments to overcome the chemical reaction of, in our brain than that of a negative one. It takes more positive comments to overcome the chemical reaction in our brain of a negative one. That's why it typically takes anywhere from five to maybe seven positive comments to help us forget maybe that one negative comment. And maybe for other people, it takes a whole lot more than that. We believe our words have an impact. Our words have an impact. And this is not a new idea, but something that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus many, many years ago. And so our passage of Scripture is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 to 32. And this is what God's Word says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate. For, uh, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, the Apostle Paul is contrasting unhealthy speech with healthy speech. Unhealthy speech with healthy speech. And he's giving practical advice on what to say that builds up people, but also what we say that can tear down people, and that's negative and unnecessary. You see, one of the marks of a mature Christian is having control over our speech. To be intentional, not reactionary. To be intentional, not reactionary. This sounds simple, but it takes a great deal of wisdom and discernment, especially when we may disagree with someone. Somebody made a decision that we thought should have been made differently. Or maybe when we feel drawn into a conversation that is gossiping and maybe putting down other people. It takes a great deal of wisdom and discernment to control our speech, but maybe to even back away from the conversation as well. The real issue with unhealthy, unhealthy speech is that maybe there is a lack of self-control. Maybe the real issue with unhealthy speech is that the self needs to be controlled. Our self needs to be controlled. 
the truth of the matter is that our hearts are naturally sinful. And we can say things that are far less than kind. You see, it's easy to be fault-finding, negative, critical, rather than to maybe hold our tongue, to listen, to speak words of life, which can be extremely hard. You see, all of us at one time have maybe, be, have maybe been on the receiving end of somebody pointing out the mistake that we did. Maybe someone said, you know, you, you should have done this. What was wrong with you? Or maybe they come alongside you and they say, you know, don't do that. You know, this is how you do it. The reality is, is that we tend to say things that are far more negative than positive. And it can be an expression of an unhealthy heart, something that we talked about last week. Because Luke 6, 45 says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so before we go any further, there are three types of criticism. There's criticism that we do to the person. This can be bad-mouthing them straight to their face, you know, telling exactly what we think about them and their mother. And, you know, this is just unhealthy, unnecessary, saying it straight to the person. That's one type of criticism. The other type of criticism is what we say about the person. You know, this is behind their back. We say things like, you know, did you see that they did that? You know, I can't believe they did that. You know, why would they do that? You know, that is just so foolish. And that is unhealthy speech, and it just, it, it doesn't help anyone. And those are the two things that the Apostle Paul is telling us that we need to get rid of. But the third, the third type of criticism is what we call constructive criticism. And it's what we do for the person. It's what we do for the person. If our motive is to be helpful, if they have asked for feedback, we speak words of wisdom and life, but also truth and in love, and ultimately to help them. And that type of criticism is healthy that we do for the person. But you see, even if the criticism is invited, God's word reminds us to Share the truth in love. Share the truth in love. You see, some people are great communicators, but they're not very loving or careful in what and how they say things. Some people are very loving and gentle, but they're hesitant to share the truth for fear of hurting other people, you know, disappointing and, you know, maybe telling people exactly what they need to hear. But God's word reminds us to do both, to both share the truth in love. Share the truth in love. Someone wisely said, and it goes something like this, everything said should be true, but not everything true needs to be said. Everything said should be true, but not everything true needs to be said. We need to choose our words wisely because the impact can be lasting, whether good or bad. And so this is our first point. Our first point is this. The easy choice is to tear down others. The easy choice is to tear down others. And you've heard me say this phrase many, many times before, in which I'm pretty sure you could probably say it too. The easy choice is typically the wrong choice. The hard choice is typically the right choice. 
The easy choice is typically the wrong choice, and the hard choice is typically the right choice. So, have you ever used a sledgehammer to demolish something? You know, maybe there was a wall, or maybe some kitchen cabinets, or something that you needed to demolish for some renovations. You know, it feels good in the moment to just get out some frustration and just to bang, just to destroy something and just, you know, see it all crumble to pieces. But as the adrenaline runs off, and as you begin to look at the ground around you, you see the broken pieces, and this is when the real work begins to clean up the mess. I'm sure you can see where I'm going with this. The same can be said with our words. It may feel good in the moment to swing the hammer, to put the person exactly where we want to put them, to say exactly what we want to say. But a poor choice of words can ruin relationships, and it can take forever maybe to put the pieces back together. And so what does it mean to tear down? What does it mean to tear down? Well, to tear down is to criticize, complain, argue, anything that is negative, anything that is unnecessary and not helpful. The Apostle Paul reminds us in verse 29, he says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. It comes from the Greek word saparos, which means rotten, corrupt, unhealthy, it's like feeding someone, you know, a rotten egg or, you know, spoiled milk. It's just, bleh, it's just disgusting. You, you just don't want anything to do with it. You know, anything that injures or is harmful to others or maybe sparks a conflict is unwholesome, unhealthy, and that is what tears down other people. And Paul is stressing that this kind of speech should have no place in our lives especially Christians, because it's not helpful and it's unhealthy. And so what is the impact of unhealthy speech? What's the impact of unhealthy, unhealthy speech? Well, for one, it defiles the one speaking. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 11, he said, what goes into our mouths does not defile them, but what comes out of our mouth that is what defiles them. You see, the more that we swear, the more that we say hurtful or critical words, the more natural it becomes to us. It just becomes part of our natural speech. We become oblivious maybe to the negative impact that we may be saying uh, to about people and also the negative impact that it has upon our life. We're just completely oblivious. It's just part of our, our speech. And it defiles, it destroys the one speaking. Another impact of unhealthy speech is that it is destructive to community. It's destructive to community. Proverbs 15, 18 says, a hot-tempered man stirs up conflict. A hot-tempered man stirs up conflict. You know, the less control that we have over our speech, the more likely we'll have a destructive pattern of ruining relationships. We can look at past relationships. There's a track record of maybe not keeping friends or family close by because the hot-tempered man always just stirs up conflict. And ultimately, the impact of unhealthy speech is that it's displayed to God. It's displayed to God. God sees everything. 
whether seen or unseen. And Jesus says in Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Every careless word they speak. The impact of unhealthy speech, it defiles the one speaking. It's destructive to community, and it's displayed to God. And so have you ever said something that you regretted? (laughs) Maybe you were caught up in the moment. Did it improve or make matters worse? I have a pastor friend who said on Facebook a little bit ago, and he said this. He said, I have been hurt most deeply by some of my fellow pastors, followed by other believers. In fact, non-Christians are typically more of a joy to work with. This was a pastor friend of mine. And as I was thinking about his statement, this is what I thought about. What do we want to be known for, Christians? Do we want to be known for being critical or encouraging? You know, tearing down, building up. What's negative or what's positive? Paul explains in verse 31 that we need to get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice. He says we need to get rid of this. This is a pretty strong word that Paul is saying. He's saying this is not up for discussion. No, he's saying this needs to get out of your speech. You need to have nothing to do with this. You need to remove this, remove, you know, resentment, keeping a score, outbursts, vengeance, shouting, deliberate harm, or the intent to urge, intent to injure from our speech. Paul is stressing these Christians, these people that he loves, you need to get rid of the speech. You need to get rid of it because it's unhealthy, and you need to replace it with something that is better. You need to replace it with something that is more encouraging and uplifting. And as I was thinking about this, this thought crossed my mind, and it was this. Why would Paul mention these ways of speaking if they weren't already prevalent in the church? Why would Paul mention these ways of speaking if they weren't already prevalent in the church? Who is Paul speaking to? He's writing to Christians the church in Ephesus. And so why do we need to get rid of unhealthy speech? Well, it's defile, it's destructive, but most importantly, it upsets God. Did you notice what the Apostle Paul said? He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It comes from the Greek word lepeo, which means deep, emotional pain, intense, severe sorrow. And notice that the Apostle Paul uses the first name of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just say, you know, the Spirit, but he says the Holy Spirit of God. And if you've ever been called by your first name by your parents before, Jedediah, David, Elliot, you knew that in that moment there was some deep doo-doo there, unlike if they just said, you know, son, come here. The Apostle Paul is stressing who we are offending in our unhealthy words. And the person that we're most upsetting is God. The person that we're most upsetting is God. You see, God loves his people. And anyone that tears down his people seriously upsets God. 
It grieves him. We may not like or maybe get along or fully agree with every decision that is made, but it doesn't give us permission to use harmful speech because it's not just hurting other people, it's hurting God. I'm aware of a situation where someone transitioned to attend a new church. They didn't leave on bad circumstances, but they wanted to try out a new church. And so they told the leader of the church that they were going to be leaving and and to start to attend another church. Unfortunately, the leader, the pastor, responded in a very negative and harmful way. In fact, he wrote an email to the person, and he said the gist of what he said was this. If you're leaving our church, you're going to hell. I am not joking. That's pretty much the gist of what this pastor and this leader said to this person. And the impact of that unhealthy speech to that individual is that they turned away from God and the church for quite some time. If this is how pastors, if this is how the church community talks, I don't want anything to do with church. And it was a very long time before they eventually came back to church. And I'm here to tell you that they actually do attend church and that they are serving, and we're thankful for the Lord for that. But why do I share that? I share that because all of us, even pastors, can say things without thinking. We can say things that are harmful, detrimental, and that tear down other people. And Paul is saying this is a challenge for all of God's people to be careful what and how we speak. Because people are watching, even the unsaved. And if the unsaved see Christians speaking so negatively and poorly, you know, if this is how Christians speak, if this is what the church is all about, I don't want anything to do with church, Christianity, or God whatsoever. You see, our words have an impact. And it can impact the health and the growth of God's church. And it can even impact the eternal destiny of souls who do not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Philippians 2.14 says, Do everything without complaining or arguing. Do everything without complaining or arguing. If all people know about Christians is that we criticize and that we put down and that we argue, why would anyone want to be part of a group of people who tear down others rather than build people up. So, what does this practically look like? How do we tame the tongue? Well, for some people, maybe we need to listen first. Maybe we need to listen first. James 1.19 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Maybe for some people, you know, are, are we quick to respond? Are we, are we quick to give our opinion rather than maybe to just sit back and to listen in order to understand? Maybe for some people we need to bite our tongue so that we don't say something that we regret. Maybe for some people to tame the tongue, it requires us to listen first. Maybe for some people we need to watch our tone. Watch our tone. We talked about this last week, Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, do we tend to react harshly 
or do we tend to respond gently? Gentleness is expressed in both the choice of words we say and our tone. Gentleness does no harm. Gentleness does no harm. So maybe for some people we need to listen first. Maybe for other people we need to watch our tone. But maybe for some people we need to think before we speak. Maybe for some people we need to think before you speak. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the godly, those that are wise, think carefully before speaking. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The mature Christian thinks, how will my words be received? How will my words be received? How do we tame the tongue? Maybe we need to listen first, watch our tone, or think before we speak. And then I shared this last week. Ultimately, what and how we say things is a reflection of the condition of our heart. And if we want to change, maybe we need to surrender more of our heart to Jesus. Maybe we need to surrender more of our heart to Jesus. If you don't like how you are responding, if you don't like how you are communicating, maybe we need to surrender more of our heart to Jesus to allow his Holy Spirit to take control and to be Lord of our life. The easy choice is to tear down others. But I'm thankful that God's word doesn't just tell us what not to do, but to give us the alternative. And so, what does God say we should be doing that we should be saying? Well, the second point is this. The hard choice is to build up others. The easy choice is to tear down, but the hard choice is to build up others. And so what does it mean to build up? Well, that means to encourage, to express thanks, to serve together, to pray for, to give gentle suggestions for improvement, and seeking to be an accurate reflection of who Jesus is, both in word and speech. And the Apostle Paul says, this will benefit, this will help, this is healthy. Remember earlier I talked about my pastor friend who you know, was on the receiving end of some unhealthy words that he commented on Facebook? But in that same post, he said, I've also been deeply blessed and enriched by my fellow pastors, and the vast majority of my church relationships have been great. The vast majority of my church relationships have been great. Church, we have the potential to build up and to encourage other people. Paul says that the Christians are to speak in verse 29b, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. He uses the word build up, which helps us understand what is helpful, encouraging, affirming, you know, to point out good character in other people. You know, I saw that, you know, you were loyal. You, you valued integrity. You followed through. You, you were faithful. You served with such a servant's heart. And we're building up other people by, you know, recognizing the good character and the ways that they're trying to follow and trust the Lord. And the Apostle Paul says, according to their needs. And this is not neediness, you know, neediness. 
but it's needed for sustenance as they follow and trust God. It's like putting gas in their tank to continue to keep on going, to keep on trucking as we follow and trust God's call upon our life. And the Apostle Paul says, if we build up other people according to their needs, he says, this will benefit those who listen. This will benefit. It's about sharing the blessing of God that as we have been richly blessed, we share it with other people. It's not just something that we hoard to ourselves, but we continue to help other people, to encourage other people, healthy speech to build up God's church. Why do we need to do this? Well, Hebrews 3.13 reminds us to encourage one another daily, so long as it is called today, so that no one is hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another daily so that people are not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know, we believe the devil only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And earlier we sang it, in great are you, Lord. God gives life and life to the full. He is our hope. And this is what Jesus has come to do. And it made me think, are our words helping or hindering God's work in other people's life? Are our words helping or hindering God's work in other people's life? One of my commentary said, the goal is to show grace and prioritize the other person's feelings and make it our intent to help other people through our words. You see, it's about being humble. It's not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. How can I invest into someone else? And as we continue to think about other people, to build other people up, everyone's needs will be met. But it requires us to be humble and to think about other people. Remember, Paul is talking to Christians about how we speak to one another. And he says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Be kind and compassionate. He uses the word be, which is, helps us understand become, which is not to be understood as to be, which is just automatic, but it's an intentional effort for us, a gradual process to surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit, to allow His Spirit to influence healthy speech. Being kind and compassionate is not going to happen automatic, but it is a process as we continue to surrender ourselves to Jesus and allow His Holy Spirit to speak through us. The Apostle Paul says to be kind, to be kind. And this is not merely generic helpfulness, but it's tender-heartedness. It's being sympathetic. It's being easily moved to express love to other people. It's being the good Samaritan. It's being the good Samaritan. You see, kindness is a characteristic of God. And the greatest expression of God's kindness was through His Son, Jesus Christ. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Just like we said earlier, you know, criticism and negativity is the natural expression of an unhealthy and a sinful heart. 
But kindness eventually comes naturally to the child of God who is growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we surrender more of our heart to Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to impart God's virtues, the fruits of the Spirit, to flow out of us. Remember, people are watching, even the unsaved, and it goes something like this. When God's people consistently speak uplifting and encouraging words, it makes the gospel more attractive to, to those who don't yet know Christ. It makes the gospel message, Jesus Christ, more attractive when we speak healthy, uplifting, and encouraging words. You see, we build up others with our words through affirmation, encouragement, kindness, praise, and thanks. But there's also one thing that we can say that's incredibly helpful, and it goes like this. I forgive you. I forgive you. Notice what the Apostle Paul says in verse 32. He says, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgiving, a pardon, a willingness to let things go. As, which implies that our forgiveness is to be like God's. You see, we are to forgive, and the motivation to this virtue is because God has forgiven you. And the phrase goes like this. Forgiven people forgive others. Forgiven people forgive others. You see, mutual forgiveness is a mark of a mature Christian. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive others. You see, being kind and compassionate flows out of a deep sense of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. Forgiveness flows out of a deep sense of what Jesus did on the cross for you. And you see, if you find it difficulty to forgive, if you find it difficult to forgive, ask God to give you a greater understanding of His forgiveness and His patience towards you. If our speech is unhealthy, if we're having a difficulty to forgive, ask God to give you a greater understanding of His forgiveness and His patience towards you. Forgiveness is not diminishing or forgetting the offense, but choosing to release the concern to God and choosing not to retaliate with unhealthy words. The mature Christian understands that we are to forgive immediately and extend the love that we have received from God to other people, to overlook and to ignore the petty mistakes and blunders from others. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Show deep love for each other, for love, forgiveness, covers a multitude of sins. Show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. So what have we been talking about? Well, we've been talking about healthy speech, and the easy choice is to tear down other people. 
you know, this grieves God and it does far more damage than good. But the hard choice is to build up other people, which includes expressing thanks, gratitude, you know, encouraging other people. You're doing a good job. Continue to follow. Continue to trust God. And to say words like, I forgive you. Never underestimate the simple gesture, kind and encouraging words, because it could be the very thing that God uses to encourage and to put gas in people's tank to continue to trust and follow Jesus. So I have a challenge for you if you're up for it. Here's the challenge. Nothing negative or critical for one week. It's a promise between you and God. We're going to take out the negative and to replace it with that which is healthy and helpful. And two, to intentionally build someone up. To intentionally build someone up. Maybe that is a text or a phone call or an email. You know, maybe God is prompting you to apologize to someone for some careless words that you spoke. Maybe God is prompting you to intentionally, you know, express thanks and gratitude and encouragement for someone that is doing a really good job. And so if you're up for this challenge, put in the comments, I'm in. I'm going to try this. With God's help, I'm going to be better and more healthy in my speech. Psalm 19:14. King David wrote many years ago, and this is our closing scripture, and I encourage you to read it with me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord. This is our prayer. This is what we're asking. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. And Jesus, we thank you that you do not change, but that you remain the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We thank you that you are faithful. And Jesus, I recognize that when we rely upon ourselves, we, we fail and we fall short in comparison to when you are involved. And so, Lord, for times in which we've relied too heavily upon ourselves, we ask for your forgiveness, Lord. We ask for your enablement. We ask for your empowerment to speak words of life and life to the full. We recognize that you are the hope of this world. We recognize that the fruits of the Spirit are not just something that's read about in the Bible, but can be true within our life as we continue to surrender our heart to you. And so, Jesus, in these moments, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, enable us and empower us to be your hands and feet, that as people see us, they see a more accurate reflection of who you are. And we'll make sure to give you the thanks and praise that you're due. And all God's people said, 